use materials that are easy. Reading Don Quixote is not going to help your fluency at all. Um, it's got to be something that you're very comfortable with because we're fluent with, you know, what we really know. So it's fine to um, use really basic texts, even if your learners, quote unquote, should be at a higher level, um, because that can help their fluency. You're listening to Speaking of Language, a podcast recorded at the Language Resource Center at Cornell University. Each week, we explore a topic related to language pedagogy and second language acquisition. This week on Speaking of Language. Karen Lichtman follows up on her talk, Acquisition versus Learning in 2021, comparing and contrasting the implicit and the explicit in language instruction. Welcome to a new episode of Speaking of Language. I'm Angelica Kramer, the director of the Language Resource Center at Cornell University. And I'm Sam Lupowitz, the LRC's media manager. Karen Lichtman is with us on Speaking of Language today. Dr. Lichtman is associate professor in Spanish linguistics and educator licensure at Northern Illinois University. She gave a talk as part of our monthly LRC speaker series on acquisition versus learning, which you can watch on our YouTube channel. Welcome to Speaking of Language, Karen. Thank you for having me. So before we dive too deep into what you talked about in your presentation, uh, we'd like to ask you a little about your background and path with languages. Uh, take us back to the beginning. Sure. So uh, I had a little bit of Spanish and French instruction in elementary school, huh. uh, like, you know, half an hour once a week, let's say. Mm-hmm. And um, I just absolutely loved it. Would have loved, you know, whatever language I learned. Um, Happened to choose Spanish over French just because I liked the Spanish teacher better. Great reason. Sure. And uh, uh, another formative experience with language was when I was 14, my family went to Greece. And so I learned the Greek alphabet for that occasion. So I could sound out everything where the rest of my family couldn't. And um, yeah, I just, I really, really love languages. If I could make a career out of learning languages instead of teaching them, I would definitely do that. (laughs) In your talk, you presented some of your recent research using the acquisition learning or the implicit explicit framework. Can you briefly recap this framework and what your research specifically investigated? Okay, so the idea of acquisition and learning goes back to uh, Stephen Krashen in the 1980s. Um, And he's the one who sort of brought these ideas to the mainstream. But even though we don't talk about acquisition and learning anymore, uh, I did an article with uh, Bill Van Patten recently where we argue that acquisition and learning are actually alive and well, but they're just called implicit and explicit learning now. Um, And so these are hot topics in the fields of cognitive science, psychology, second language acquisition. Um, So this framework basically says that uh, there's two different ways to learn languages. So the acquisition or implicit learning is sort of what children do when they learn their first language, where they just hear the message and they see things in the world that you're referring to. And um, they pick up the language just by experience without putting in effort or studying. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then explicit learning is the opposite of that. So that is, you know, learn this set of vocabulary, you know, memorize this grammar rule, create this uh, correct form, conjugate this verb, 
Um, so that's much more of what we usually do in language classes in the mm-hmm. United States. Um, so that is uh, the framework. And then what my research investigated is how these two different kinds of language teaching affect learners. Um, so I look at different ages of learners and um, I'm very interested in uh, kids because that's most people's first exposure to language learning. Um, so looking at, you know, the first study looked at a group of elementary students that had years of language study that was just sort of more implicit, more, you know, let's use the language, let's uh, tell stories, let's make everything really comprehensible. Um, And then they got a little bit of grammar instruction when they reached middle school, which is typical, and looking at how that affected them. Um, So when they had this really big uh, experience with language where they had lots of use of language and real communication, when they got the grammar instruction at the end, um, it made them more accurate and it worked really quickly. So they didn't have to actually spend years studying grammar. They could just first get a level of proficiency or fluency and then add on the grammatical accuracy later. Um, So that was one study. Another study brought adults into the lab and either taught them the grammar rules of an artificial mini language, or they just learned sentences and they didn't ever learn the rules. Um, That study actually found that kids and adults were affected the same way by being taught the grammar rules. Um, So, you know, sometimes people think, oh, kids can't even learn grammar rules. Mm. Well, they actually can. We just don't tend to teach them the grammar rules. Mm -hmm. Um, And if we do, then kids are affected the same way as adults, which is they become a tiny bit more accurate, but um, they may also speak less fluently because they are thinking about how to apply those rules. Um, so yeah, those were, uh, the two main studies that I talked about. Um, and then a more recent study that, uh, uh, happened during COVID. So Mm -hmm. the data collection was, was definitely affected, but, um, that study showed that two extremely different approaches to Spanish one, you know, one totally implicit learning, totally just exposure and using the language and the other one very grammar focused. Um, that the students essentially perform the same. Hmm. Um, So yeah, that's what I look at is sort of, you know, if we teach language in these two different ways, how does that affect the learning? Or what what do the learners look like at the end? Great. So uh, reflecting on those studies then, what are the implications for classroom teaching? Sure. So I think, um, you know, what every teacher is looking for is the right balance between just language exposure and um, teaching rules for accuracy. And most people could take their classes a lot more in the direction of just using the language. Hmm. Because what we know about implicit learning is it's slow. It takes a long time. You know, learning things unintentionally, you have to really put in the hours and um, spend a lot of time learning. Um, for that reason, because implicit learning is slow and explicit learning is fast, um, I think uh, most classroom teachers could add more just use of the language, you know, communicating, uh, speaking in the target language with their students about whatever is interesting to them, whether that's a story, whether that's, you know, an event happening at the school, um, 
and probably uh, spend less time teaching grammar. Uh, if you are going to teach grammar explicitly, um, there's good research that shows that delaying it till the end of your program is really beneficial. Because when the learners have lots of knowledge, they have that vocabulary and they have that proficiency, um, then you can teach them grammar without uh, having such a big hit to their fluency. Mm -hmm. Is there something that teachers can do thinking about fluency to expedite their students' progress <laughs> in fluency? Yeah, I mean, I think... Um, Doing activities that are spoken. So when you think about, you know, a first-year language textbook, a textbook is written. Everything that you do that's spoken happens in real time. And so the learners have to be, you know, working to understand you when you talk in real time. So you talking to the students, um, playing recording, seeing what they can understand from recording, um, having the students talk. So oral activities, I think are necessarily time pressured mm -hmm. and um, those benefit fluency. You also want to use materials that are easy. So reading Don Quixote is not going to help your fluency <laughs> at all. Um, it's got to be something that you're very comfortable with because we're fluent with, you know, what we really know. So it's fine to um, use really basic texts even if your learners, quote unquote, should be at a higher level, mm -hmm. um, because that can help their fluency. And would you label activities like you're just describing as explicit or implicit? Oh, activities where you... Um, like present students with texts, for example, or, you know, having okay. them go beyond just the, the written word. Uh-huh. Yeah, so having students go beyond the written word, so having a lot of um, talking in the foreign language in your class. Mm -hmm. I would say if you are talking to the students and you're exchanging information, I would say that that's more implicit because mm -hmm. you are not focused on form, you're focused mm -hmm. on meaning. Mm -hmm. So um, real communication activities tend to be more implicit. When I say mm -hmm. real communication... Um, you know, some quote-unquote communicative activities in yeah. foreign language classrooms are like, sure. what color is this banana? Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> so that would not be communication. Yeah. That would be, I'm just telling you to say the word yellow. Yep. But, um, you know, if you ask your students about their likes and dislikes or what they do, what they did, you know, you don't know what they're going to say. And so that means they're really communicating. Yeah. Yeah. We need purpose. Yes. Let's talk a little bit um, more about how this affects curriculum design. I'm finding an interesting connection to our last speaker who talked about the benefits of teaching high-frequency lexical items in context. Sure. So, yeah, I'm actually, um, I've been doing a little bit of uh, middle school teaching to refresh my knowledge of what mm -hmm. it is like to really be in the classroom. Um, and I've been using the SOMOS curriculum, which is so, so, so different from a textbook. Mm -hmm. um, so what that curriculum does is um, introduce just a few vocabulary items, um, but they're very high frequency. So, you know, we're talking about verbs like be, have, do, make, um, yeah. you know, uh, words for people. You can Google what are the highest frequency words for your language, 
and um, putting those, you know, in the beginning of the curriculum. Um, that's very different from a textbook. So I used to teach with uh, Paso a Paso in my very first middle school job. And that has the word perezoso or lazy in like chapter one. Um, that is not a high frequency item. So I think uh, trying to focus on, on things that are high frequency, you know, constructions that happen a lot, like I have to, I want to, you have to, you know, uh, constructions with two verbs. So taking the high frequency stuff and then um, building content around that. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, I mean, it's it's been really interesting to see. I think uh, Somos is, although it's an established curriculum, it's also still a work in progress in seeing how that uh, evolves and updates. Um, it sort of presents a small set of vocabulary. Um, the class makes up a story with that vocabulary, which means that you use those words again and again um, to negotiate meaning to decide what happens in this story. Um, there'll be some activities to sort of revisit the story, whether that's like summarize or, mm -hmm. um, you know, tell it to a partner or change the ending or just, um, things to keep students talking in the target language. And this is at the very, very basic level. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think, um, Definitely thinking what is the most useful vocabulary and not uh, teaching and testing, like a long list of arbitrary vocabulary. I mean, you know, perezoso uh, is <laughs> useful, but, you know, maybe not that early on yes, in, the, yes. in, the, in, the, in the textbook. <laughs> yeah, thinking about, thinking about what, what is really important for students to know, the most frequent words in the language, and then building content around that. So finding readings about those or writing readings about those, you know, finding audio about those mm -hmm. um, and keeping it to those basics. Yeah. Is there any other advice that you would give to colleagues who have a specific textbook that they simply can't abandon, but they want to do more with like input-based language study? Yeah, I think there are a lot of things that you can add um, while still following the framework of a textbook. Um, so are we talking like college or K-12? Oh, but how about both? Okay. <laughs> like first All give right. us some ideas for K-12 and then <laughs> for college too. Okay. Um, so yeah, so for K-12, for people who uh, can't abandon a textbook, I would say um, use uh, the comprehensible parts of your textbook, which may include audio recordings, which may include videos, which may include um, readings. And then um, maybe you pull out the most important words from all the words in the textbook um, to really focus on. And if you need to expose students to a huge amount of vocabulary, you know, maybe have them uh, do some online practice, like flashcards or something. Mm -hmm. um, so they've been exposed to that, but uh, that's not the core focus of your class. And then rather than talking about, you know, Maria in the textbook and her schedule, like talk about your student's real schedule. Mm -hmm. um, so anything that you can do where you and the students are really exchanging information um, is real communication and it does uh, help fluency and help uh, implicit learning. 
Um, so I would say use the textbook as more of a framework, use a few activities from that, and then add a lot of activities um, where you're just sort of talking. Yeah. Um, you can also add novels. Um, I think even textbook-based teachers see the benefit of these um, easy reading novels mm -hmm. that are now so common and used to be so rare uh, in language teaching. Yeah. Um, so, you know, that looks rigorous. That looks like, oh, they're reading a whole book. Um, and you can also do things like, okay, we're going to summarize this novel using the past tense because uh, that's what we're supposed to be learning. Um, mm -hmm. So I think... There are things you can add to a textbook without abandoning the whole textbook. Yeah. Um, okay. So if you're talking college, the real challenge in college is the very limited instruction time that you have with the students. Mm -hmm. um, so if you teach college and you want to do input, you're going to have to find a way to get the students input outside of class. Um, so you know, during COVID, we've started to get more creative with uh, technology. And, um, you know, there are things like ed puzzles that might actually be useful for college mm -hmm. that might be things that originated in K-12, sure. but they could be a way for college students to get extra input outside of class. Um, so you want to find uh, activities that students can do that just sort of expose them to language um, that there's some sort of accountability that they have to do it, but not something that you have to, you know, grade and correct every word mm -hmm. of. Mm -hmm. um, that, I think, the key for uh, college professors would be to establish that their students are going to get a lot of input outside of class. Great. What other projects are you working on right now? Um, that's a good question. Like I said, uh, my major project right now is doing a little bit of uh, middle school teaching on the side. And so <laughs> I am updating my knowledge of everything that the comprehensible input world has uh, created since yeah. the last time I taught middle school, which was about 15 years ago. <laughs> um, so that has been really challenging and really enlightening. Yeah. Um, I'm also working on a couple of projects that are collaborations between me and high school teachers. That's great. Um, so we actually just collected data this week for um, somebody, a, a teacher, uh, Angela Gardner is her name, who wanted to study um, two different kinds of questions that she was giving to her students. So one group of students, she would give them questions that would just be like a question, you know, like, um, what or where did the parrot live? Oh, it lived in the jungle or something. Okay. Mm -hmm. So where there's no um, either or options for the students and the other kind of questions she tested were either or questions. So hmm. where does the parrot live? The jungle or the ocean? Um, and then students, uh, can answer the questions more easily because, hmm. um, the answer is provided for them. So she's actually measuring a couple of things. She's measuring, um, like student language production after that. So some students get the one, some students get the other. She's also mentioned measuring um, if they're tempted to use Google Translate. Huh. So uh, K-12 teachers are having to deal with Google Translate like never uh -huh. before uh -huh. because students are on devices like never before. Yeah. And um, the best way to keep your students off Google Translate is to ensure that the task is easy enough for them to complete without using it. Huh. Um, and so that's, that's what she's trying to do by really uh, scaffolding these questions. 
Um, so yeah, so that is another uh, brand new project, and um, it's fun to research in the real classroom mm -hmm. context. Mm -hmm. And I do have to point out that you are incredibly brave to go back into the middle school world. <laughs> yes, yes. I think um, <laughs> it is scary, and I would not have been able to do it if I had not been sitting at home for 18 months in COVID. And I was willing to do anything to get out of the house, <laughs> including teach middle school Spanish. Yes. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah, that's heard. <laughs> so, Karen, where can our listeners learn more about your work? Um, yeah. So, I, if you Google uh, Karen Lichtman, uh, you'll find my website at Northern Illinois University. Um, so, that links to a few different things. Uh, there's a page that I have that is about TPR storytelling. Um, which is how a lot of teachers find me. And so that has um, a book that I wrote about TPR storytelling, and it has um, a lot of research handouts that I've um, presented at conferences over the years. Um, so that's one arm of it. And then for my more academic stuff, there's also um, academia.edu and ResearchGate um, has uh, some of my publications on it. Um, and if you ever are at language teacher conferences, you may also find me there. Awesome. When conferences start up again. I know, right? Hopefully soon. Yeah. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, thank you so much. Before we sign off, we'd like to ask you to share your favorite word in a language you speak, love, are learning, want to learn. Let's hear it. This is a really, really difficult question. <laughs> <laughs> But I'm going to go with onomatopoeia, an hmm. English word, because... Uh, it has a nice sound, and it also reminds me of teaching intro to linguistics, where you tell students that language is totally arbitrary. You know, there's nothing about the word table that suggests a table. Um, and the exception to that is onomatopoeia, like zoom, buzz, splash. <laughs> I love it. This is awesome. Thank you so much, Karen, for speaking of language with us today. Thank you so much for inviting me, Angelica. All right. Well, next week, we will speak with Ian Andrew McDonald about the intersection of language learning and theater. Until then, auf Wiederhören. The Language Resource Center is located on the ground floor of Stimson Hall on Cornell's main campus in Ithaca, New York. Check us out on the web at lrc.cornell.edu. Or follow Cornell LRC on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Speaking of Language is produced by Angelica Kramer and Sam Lupowitz. Recorded by Sam Lupowitz. Original music by Sam Lupowitz, Dan Gable, and Joe Gibson. Thanks also to the College of Arts and Sciences at Cornell University. As a reminder, the ideas and opinions expressed on this podcast do not reflect those of the College of Arts and Sciences or any other official entity of Cornell University. We thank our listeners, and do stay tuned for our next episode.